are, or as we like to call it around here, nothing but rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Tired of this car, then switch it. Tired of my old girl, new chick it. All right, understand something consistent about consistently switching it up. That's what my guy, Lil Baby, was talking about in that song, Consistent. That's what my man was talking about. He was talking about consistently switching it up. All right. And boy, if that ain't the motto for the Florida Gators right now, um, consistent about consistently switching it up. I don't know what to do with Billy Napier. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to act or even really think about my man's Billy. Like at some point, I think he's great. At some point, I don't. Um, Chauncey, uh, Chauncey Bones obviously flipped from Florida to Georgia last week. That wasn't really the news that set Billy Bags off. It was Lane Kiffin going out and kind of trolling him on social media. There was a 2025 quarterback out of the state of Florida um, named Austin Simmons that was going to reclassify all the way from 2025. He's a homeschool kid. It's really weird. He's going to reclassify all the way from 2025 to 2023. Um, it was, according to my people, a, like a done deal. So much so that Napier was almost even like open to talk about it with the media down there. Like not, not open to talk about it, but kind of hinting at the possibility that this guy was going to come on campus. And then Austin Simmons obviously flips to Ole Miss. So much so that Lane Kiffin's like out on the timeline, like noticeably trolling uh, Billy Napier. And so that doesn't necessarily make Billy Napier happy. And over the last three days, Billy Napier has been on an absolute tear. Aaron Childs, four-star linebacker. Amir Jackson, Amaris Williams, Nasir Johnson, Marcus Maskell, uh, Makai Burrow, who committed today over Georgia. Uh, Jamonte Waller just committed before the show started today. Um, and if you can't applaud that performance, I mean, what can you applaud? You know what I mean? Like, the dude's on an obvious tear. He's obviously ripping off commitments left and right. And he's obviously having a good, not just not just good, a very successful run on the commitment trail, right? You have to see, sit here and say, hey, Billy's getting it done, right? Billy's out here landing top two, 250 players, five of them, five top 250 players in three days. If you can't applaud that, you can't really applaud anything that a coach is doing out here, at least on the recruiting end of things. But I'm still very, very perplexed about this program. Okay, I want to give them as much credit as I possibly can, but there is a problem. Okay, we're in the middle of June, and though he has now 16 commits in this class, we are adamant. We're not changing our opinions on the fact that Florida might be a 4-8 and eight football team this year. They might be a 5-7 and seven football team this year. They might be a 6-6 six and six football team this year okay so yeah we're, we're here in june and the down payments are paying off like things are happening recruiting wise all right you're getting momentum on the recruiting trail all before a season that we really really think is going to be bad like everyone involved even florida fans to a man will tell you it's gonna get ugly this year like it's a bad schedule graham mertz not that great it's not gonna be a good year for the gators this year Where's the mo? Where's the momentum? Where are we going to find it? Well, right now, you're dumping the clip on the momentum in the middle of the summer, and that's fine, man. Okay, but that's 2023, and then y'all seen the 2024 schedule. The 2024 schedule, schedule is absolutely berserk, okay, with a, what we assume to be a freshman quarterback in DJ Lagway that's going to be the starting quarterback in 2024. So here's the deal, right? I want to sit here and tell you that Billy Napier is a sitting duck. I want to tell you that after just a year, okay, had a bunch of uh, coaches leave, one that he asked to leave, but a bunch of coaches dip out, okay? Um, a recruiting class last year that wasn't all that great, starting to turn things around now, okay? I'm perplexed. I want to sit here and tell you that the seat was so hot after last season and it's so dim looking towards this year that the seat ain't even, seat ain't even hot anymore. It's already cooled off. It's like lukewarm. Like, I really want to sit here and say that, Um then I start doing more digging on this program, right? More and more digging on this program. I start talking to people in and out of the building down there in Gainesville. And you start to find out, like, kids love this dude. Kids really, really love this dude. They, they like him. They want to play for him. They want to play hard for him. 
but the performances don't necessarily match up. The schedule's not optimal at all, okay? Not optimal at all. And it's hard for me right now in June of 2023 to believe that this dude's going to survive the next two seasons that are inward for him, despite the fact of the news of the last four days, okay? And despite the fact that apparently his players love him. Like, that's nuts that you're, you're not – we might not be out here long enough for the Billy Napier experience to see it bear fruit. And that means I think maybe the next head coach at Florida might have a really, really optimal chance to get after it. But, um, man, I, I, I don't know what to do, okay? I, by the way, I freaking love what they do schematically. I love what they do schematically. I think they do the right stuff. I think they're trying to be Georgia with Tennessee football players, if that makes sense. Like, they're trying to be Georgia but recruit at, like, Michigan's level, which is okay, but you're not going to beat Georgia doing what Georgia does with Georgia's players when you have Michigan-type caliber players. You see what I'm saying? So it's it's a reasonable thought process to think they're going to have success, but nothing tells me that they're going to wait around long enough for him to have it. Like, it's great that he he got out in front of everything, got some momentum this week uh, on the recruiting trail, but, whew, man, got a long way to go to signing day and some ugly, ugly games inward for Florida. I – I don't like writing coaches off when I hear that players love them. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think there's any way possible that there's reasonable success in terms of like an eight or nine win season coming this year for Florida. It's not happening. And then in 2024, if everything else around DJ Lagway is settled, maybe he's good enough to make them a, a contending team in the SEC East. But like, man, that's a lot of losing before the light turns, you know, or, or, or the vision turns a little bit more green, unless you're just out here dominating on the recruiting trail. If Billy Napier can find a way to get all these guys to sign in day, he might have a chance. If they if they end up getting like the top five, top top four recruiting class, top six recruiting class, maybe they stick around and hold that one on. But we told you it's going to get way darker before, it, before dawn comes for Florida and that football team based off A, the schedule, and B, the roster as it currently is situation we got a loaded show for you guys of course for tonight glad to be back here in the state of georgia we've been out in la we're gonna give you the final thoughts from the elite 11 nick saban's been talking college football playoff expansion we're gonna talk a little bit about that and as you can tell by the title i personally believe georgia's name image and likeness strategy if you will um their salary acquisition or their salary distribution i should say um their strategy for such things has been rather on display the last couple of days and, and and you may not pay attention and you may not know these things but you need to start um you need to definitely start paying attention to how the money is moving and all that good stuff but we do have a great show for you guys but before we get into the lead 11 i, I just want to talk about this um that's a random rant that i kind of wanted to talk about been wanting to talk about been thinking about contextualizing but haven't really delivered to the audience um you know how do I put this? The NCAA thinks we're really stupid, particularly thinks you're stupid, and it makes my job really, really hard. Like, they think you're really, really dumb. How dumb do they think you are? Well, they think you're this dumb. They think that they can write a rule about how NIL is allowed, but schools and programs, and particularly football programs and basketball programs, are not allowed to interact or intervene with any of these name, image, and likeness discussions prior to the player being enrolled at their school. Now, why does that make the NCAA obvious and blatant in their process of thinking that you're stupid? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you're out here thinking that the University of Georgia or Alabama or USC or Tennessee's coaching staffs are just letting NIL collectives, a.k.a. a group of boosters, if you think they're allowing that group of people to dictate where their salary goes, you are sorely mistaken. I mean, you're as dumb as the NCAA thinks you are. So they have this rule written into place where we can't talk. Like, we're not supposed to be out here. We're dry snitching if we're out here talking about, hey, NIL this, NIL that, discussion happening this, unless there's a school in the state of Florida that is involved. And then thanks to a, a law being in, in, in or a bill being put in place down in Florida, schools are allowed to do this, okay? So the NCAA has these rules. We're led to believe the schools are following them, even though we know good and damn well that they are not, all right? So I don't know. That's just my rant. I, I don't know how to go about some of these discussions 
without thinking that I'm dry snitching on somebody or without thinking that I'm saying something that I'm, that I'm not supposed to. Um, whatever. Okay, so here's what we're going to try to do. Okay, um, because I'll be honest with you, we got Deion Sanders doing live commitments with co- with recruits, high school kids on Instagram, illegal. We got Lane Kiffin out here tweeting out high school kids by their legal government name before they are enrolled, illegal. And we got obvious NIL discussions that have been going on since day one, illegal. We got player poaching, illegal. We got all this stuff going on, and the NCAA clearly ain't doing a damn thing about it. So what I'm going to do here on this channel is try to be as forthcoming and as honest and as real with you as I can without blowing up somebody's spot. You got me? Okay, so that's going to make a whole lot more sense here in a little bit, but that's just all I'm saying, okay? It's classic NCAA. Just make a a nonchalant rule that you're not going to enforce and then – make everybody pretend as if you are enforcing it stupid absolutely stupid um all right let's get into those final thoughts on the elite 11 you should know by now if you listen to this network at all that that event for me every single year um is far more i go out there for far more reasons than to see footballs being thrown right i think the more and more i do this the more and more i rely on at that position okay at other positions Height, weight, speed. Give it to me. Height, weight, speed, decent film will make you a great football player. But at the quarterback position, it's not just about anymore how hard you can throw the football, how great you can throw the football, how layered you can throw the football, how all those good things. It's not about any of that for me anymore. I mean, it's it's those things. That event for me is to check the physical boxes of can you make every throw? And all 20 invitees normally should be able to do that. There was one or two quarterbacks out there that I didn't really think had no business being out there. But the rest of them all make NFL throws. They all throw the ball exceptionally well every single year. It is not about that for me. Now, other people go out there and they'll, they'll write all these articles about, oh, so-and-so's ball looked great today, so-and-so. They're all, all their balls look great. Okay, As the film guys, the football dude that you guys trust to give you evaluations and opinions about football players, every single one of those guys that goes out of L.A. every year can throw the piss out of it. So just put that by the wayside. The rest of this stuff, there are some differences. Don't get me wrong. There's some separations. But the main point for us to go out there is part of the reaction, right? Um, It's, you know, seeing how you react to coaching, okay? It's seeing how you respond to your uh, competitors around you. It's seeing how you interact with other people. It's seeing how you approach the game. It's about how you compete. It's about how you attack drills, right? It's about all these things while also checking the physical boxes, okay? Can he make every throw in the book? And while he's doing it, are there any things in his fundamentals or anything that leads us to believe that he might not be able to sustain that success or uh, repeat that success or have consistency with that success? That's what we are there to do. Physical boxes, intangible boxes. How many of those can we check and know for a fact when we leave, this guy's got this, right? So with that being said, let's talk about each one of these commitments right obviously Georgia had two out there everyone wants to talk about both of them so we're gonna talk about both of them I think we did a great job of this while we're out there in LA if you haven't gone back and watched those shows I would recommend that you do I thought they were good some some really good work and I want to do satellite shows like that more and more often but of course you guys know you got to support them right so go back hit that thumbs up button leave a comment do all that good stuff do that thing that same thing right here on this channel or on this uh video as well I know I've done a bad job already 15 minutes in the show forgetting to tell you to do that um, but hey, I did now. So hit that thumbs up button. Let's talk rail. Uh, beautiful ball. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful football. Um, never play like never plays with tremendous amounts of gas. Okay, what do I mean by that? Most of these live arm football players, most of these guys that like are one of one throwers, people talk about them since they were you know, in ninth, 10th grade about how great the ball comes out. Guys like Dan Orlovsky tell their dad when they're 14, their first round draft picks, number one overall, right? All these guys, most of them, the ball explodes at all times, unless they're throwing a deep ball or unless they're throwing a layered ball. Um, it doesn't It doesn't seem catchable for mediocre receivers or anybody less than premier wide receivers when those quarterbacks let it rip. I never felt like Rayola's ball appeared to be hard to catch this week, and that is a valuable skill set, okay? 
because it leads to less drop balls. It leads to more runnable footballs after the catch because the receivers are comfortable. Okay. It leads to, I don't even know how to explain it other than to say it this way. Every ball Dylan Rayola threw this week looked like it was meant to be caught. Does that make sense? No wobbles, no, no, uh, no suddenness to it. It doesn't appear heavy. Like Gunnar Stockton's ball is very, very heavy. You catch his ball and it feels like it punched you in the in the hands when it gets to you. Okay, Rayola's ball arrives eloquently, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that is a skill set. That is something that is valued on the next level, especially when we start mixing into, hey, fitting balls into windows and stuff like that, on top of the fact that he's got the gas. right? He's absolutely got the gas when he needs it. Um, the other thing that I learned this week, and it's probably something I should have known you know, prior to going out there, but he's relatively new to this position. I mean, like, very, very new to this position. This is a guy that didn't start playing quarterback until ninth grade. Like, that's wild to me. That's wild to me that we just pick it up and we're that naturally gifted at it, first of all. Um, but it's also wild to me to sit here and think that, hey, this guy's only got four years of college or, you know, high school football underneath his belt. Um, and despite the fact that his daddy was a pro ball player and despite the fact that, you know, he probably grew up in NFL locker rooms and despite the fact that Uncle Maddie is Uncle Maddie and all that good stuff, um, it's still a 10,000 hour theory. Like you still have to go out and play to, to be comfortable. And I see that some in his game. I see some uh, unrefinedness, if you will, some. I'm gifted. I'm going to do it this way because I can get it done this way right now. You know what I'm saying? And that right now changes when you get to the next level. You have to do it that way, not your way. And if you do, you can't do it that way, then we got to learn how to do it that way. Does that make sense? Um, so, yeah, definitely that right there. The deep ball. I went back and watched the footage today. Absolutely immaculate. Like, I don't even know. Russell Wilson throws the best deep ball in the NFL, I've always believed, because it is a super high arcing football. It comes down, nose down. Okay, that ball arrives straight down like that. Okay, um, that is Dylan Rayola's deep ball. It shows up like that. Okay, it shows up nose down, um, and it, it's in the air for a very, very long time as a, a byproduct of his arm strength, of course. Um, like I mentioned earlier, there's touch on every throw. And the life did show up when it wanted to. I thought he threw one ball really hard all week. And it was during the pro day. He's rolling to his left. He throws a comeback. And, I mean, I'm standing right there. The footage is – I mean, he's throwing basically into our camera. That ball arrived. That ball jumped. It sounded violent when it got there. It, it was like, all right, that ball was pissed on. Pardon my language. That was the only ball he threw all week that I felt that was like that, though. Um, for good or worse. Uh, but I think that, you know, on the next level, we're going to have to throw comebacks like that every time. We're going to have to throw slants like that every time. We're going to have to throw, uh, you know, digs like that into the second window every single time. He's got the lively arm to do it. Um, just didn't do it on a, on a consistent basis this week, which, again, catchable. That was all that was mattering this week. You're throwing with brand-new receivers, all that good stuff, catchable. Um, I do want to know, what is Dylan Rayola like inside of structure, Okay. What is he going to be like when he is told, this is how we do this, and it's not something that he's comfortable with? Can he do that? And, and what do I mean by that? I've already told this story, but we probably have some new listeners in here tonight. So I'm going to tell it again. The very first drill of the week. I mean, the very first drill of the week. At the Elite 11, Dylan Rayola and the quarterbacks were asked to put their feet stagnant. Keep your feet square. Don't move them. Take one step, two steps to the target, throw the ball, okay? Your lower half should be, like, very solidified. You should be very calm. This should almost look like we are just playing robot catch, like you are very stagnant. We're trying to see your motion. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to video your motion, see what you got going on, all that good stuff from the, its base platform, right? The Like, block A before we get to block Z where we're actually playing football. First rep, he does it like coach wants him to. You know, step one, bring the, the front foot over to it. Okay, nice and solid, feet quiet, rip the football. Throws the ball on the track. Does it again, takes his second rep, throws it on the track again. Claps his hands, you know, dang it, like all quarterbacks do. Gets back in line, gets back into the drill, and then starts to add kind of like a, like a hop, puts, starts to put rhythm into the drill. Not the drill. Okay, so... Does it matter? No. To a lot of people, it doesn't. 
Okay. But you, I've, I said this the other day, you guys, a lot of you, I know mean, we, we got some, we're starting to get some different fan bases moving in here, but a lot of you guys that listen to this are Georgia fans. You played a program that is all about those things. It's all about doing all eight reps on the power clean. It's all about finishing through the line during sprints. It's all about processing your reads correctly. It's all about doing it the way you were taught and coached. It's all about uh, all the little things required to be great at football. That's why you are who you are. That's why Georgia is where they are, because they do all of the little things the right way, while also having immensely talented football player players. Excuse me. Have the best players. Teach them to do all of the right things all of the time. Okay? So that, that's my question. I know he's one of one talented. He is by far the most talented football player in America. No doubt. No, not a doubt in my mind. We confirmed that this week with our own eyes. Um, there are some boxes. There are still some boxes left to check, as are with the next person. Let's talk about Ryan Puglisi. Um, I think far more, far too many of these conversations about Puga are started with the intangibles. He's a great kid, all that good stuff. We're going to talk about that. But I want to talk about the dude's abilities. Okay? That is a football playing SOB. That dude, to a man, I've said this twice tonight, to a man, this one was in the notes earlier, was at ad lib, to a man, I always go out there and I ask these quarterbacks, hey, who's got what? You know, who's the best athlete? Who's got the best arm? Who's your guy? Who you like? You know, who's the dude? Who's the alpha? All these questions. Every single one that I asked, who's got the biggest arm? Puglisi. Medium. Puglisi. Dude can throw it a country mile. So he's immensely talented, 6'3", 225, got a good stroke, all that good stuff. He can absolutely throw the football. He throws missiles, and I know based on his tape, I didn't see a ton of it this week. thought this is the only place that he really struggled, the touch. There's not a lot of, there was not a lot of touch in his game this week, but I know there is a ton of it on Friday nights. If you go watch the film of Puglisi, there is a ton of touch throws. In fact, there's one where he scrambled to in his right, and he just kind of like, it almost looks like a, a, a Steph Curry floater, like, uh, you know, from the from the free throw line or a Trey Young floater from the free throw line. Super high. Comes right back down and drops in. Um, I know the dude can play with pace. I know the dude can play with some uh, finesse, if you will. I will say this. There are no excuses, but I'm about to make one. All right. One thing people don't realize about the Elite 11, and I probably wouldn't realize this unless I was one of these guys that always – I'm just – I'm a loser like this. I just notice all the little things that don't matter to a lot of people. And when I say this, they're going to be like, oh, my God, look at this excuse-making mofo. Those people that think this is an excuse have never, ever, ever thrown a football. Not consistently. Those balls they gave those dudes. They, they gave those guys brand-new Elite 11 balls from Nike about a week and a half out from being out there. Okay? So some guys, Puglisi was telling me, had their balls professionally treated. They sent them off to professionals. They had to mud them up, scuff them up, have them ready, like game-worn type stuff um, by the time they got there. Hold on. I got, I got something. All right. So, these are NFL balls. I don't know if you can tell, but this ball... This ball looks brand new, okay? It's not quite brand new, but it basically is, okay? This ball looks brand new. This ball, a little darker, okay? Nose of it, a little more rubbed off. This ball, this ball spins like nobody's business, okay? We hit the camera on the way back. This ball, this ball struggles to get through the air when it's brand new, okay? So that's all I'm talking about, all right? And basically, Puglisi had a ball that was not rubbed up. No pause, all right? He had a ball that was kind of tough to throw, all right? So all week, when you look at the footage, my man ain't throwing ducks, but my man throwing balls that are not showing the dot. You know what I mean? Where you throw a spiral and that thing's actually showing the nose of the ball the whole time. It wasn't that. But the dude's arm was so damn strong that he was just throwing through spirals or throwing through ducks, okay, balls that weren't spinning professionally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we can blame the balls. I'm going to blame the balls a little bit. How's this camera look? It's not terrible. You know, it's not terrible. So, yeah, the balls weren't rubbed up. Some were. Some balls were nice and perfect. Some balls were brand new out of the box. Some balls still had the uh, unique shape a brand new ball has coming out of the bag. Some balls were smooth. I said it this way in our Elite 11 article. Actually, I got to talk about this. I have personal biases, okay, as a scout. 
And it's important if you're going to do these things to not only identify them, but tell them to your audience. Okay. So I'm going to tell you something right now about me. I am always, 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 always going to favor the player that does everything right and that has to do everything right to be great. Ryan Puglisi is immensely talented. Like I told you, God gifted him too. He's 6'3", 225 pounds. He can throw a 75 yards. He can do everything he needs to as a, as a college quarterback. He's immensely talented. But Ryan Puglisi is a does-everything-right guy. From the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to sleep, he does everything right. And it is not just lip service. I think too often kids can be in uh, you know, their phones responding to uh, reporters. They could be on the phone responding to porter, reporters. They can be on Twitter talking their uh, inspirational stuff. Okay, They can do all of these things. But a lot of it's fugazi until you pull up on kids and you find out who they are. That's what we did this week. We found out who that guy is. That is not lip service. That dude is 100% that guy when it comes to I'm a competitionaholic. I love doing everything right. I'm a dry reps guy. When the guy in front of me is doing work, I'm going to do the shadow rep behind him. Okay, I'm going to show up early. I'm going to leave late guy. All of those things are in spades with Ryan Puglisi. I said it this way in our final Elite 11 article before we left California, and I, I think this is the best way to put it. I don't know if Dylan Rayola is quite ready to lead at Georgia, but he's damn sure ready to play. That guy can walk in right now and play college football. But I don't know if he's ready to lead a college football room. Conversely, I don't know if Ryan Puglisi is ready to play college football at the University of Georgia, but he's damn sure ready to lead a room. Okay, so it's good, and it's, it's a Georgia first-world problem to have that you took both of these football players because though they are both immensely talented, they are immensely talented for two very different reasons. Okay, if Dylan Rayola were a one-of-one thrower of the football, Ryan Puglisi is a one-of-one do-everything-right guy. It ain't going to be some walk-away competition. And I, I, that's, that's what I learned this week, that, yes, that guy, wow, super talented. That guy, wow, something about him. Have you ever heard about the if factor, guys? It's something that everyone's searching for. Everyone. And it's a lot of these things. It's a lot of do other people believe in you? Are you on time all the time? Are you dependable? Are you immensely talented? Okay. And here's the deal. If you are that guy, if you are that talented, none of this shit matters. None of it. None of it. You can show up late. You can do everything for so long. You can do it for so long. It just depends on how immensely talented you are, period. Okay, so we can sit here and talk about all these intangible traits and we can talk about how uh, you got to be a great human being to play at the University of Georgia and all that is true. But they still take swings on, at every position, they take swings on talent. You got to be immensely talented, period, to play at the University of Georgia. And oftentimes the talent does wear uh, win out. But sometimes it don't. Sometimes it don't. You know, it's funny. Uh, like I was telling you, I like to talk to a lot of these guys when I go out here. Um, a lot more off the record than even on the record, to be honest with you. I just kind of chat kids up. I think they respect that. I, I don't I don't necessarily – I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't love being 17, 18 years old and always having people talk to me with a camera on me or with a microphone on me, like especially if that's all we, you ever talk to me with. Like if you never come up to me and talk to me man-to-man or person-to-person, -person, not reporter to player, but person-to-person. -person. If you never tell me – that, if you never have those conversations, who are you? What are you? Why are you? Why are you here? Essentially, why are you in my circle? Why are you in my world? If you don't care to get to know me, you just want to ask me questions. All right. So I always try to get to know kids, even if, not, even if they're not coming to Georgia um, or even being recruited by Georgia. I always like to have general conversations with them off the record. So one of those things we always do um, is we just we just take note. We just listen to what they say. And we're like, hmm, interesting. Like this little note. I was talking to a young quarterback at the Elite 11 Finals, and uh, we were talking about Dylan. We were talking about Dylan Riola, and we were saying, hey, man, like it is Riola, by the way. I need to correct that. Make sure you're correcting me with that on this channel. Um, he's talking about Riola, and he made a comment about Dylan, quote, passing up millions to go to the University of Georgia, saying that, you know, it was never about money there for Dylan. Those are his direct quotes. These are guys competing with Dylan, like, all week, okay? Um, Never, ever is the number one quarterback of these things like supremely liked, by the way. Never. They're all super competitive. They all want to take down the guy. So for him to say this, about this is 100% true. It's 100% true. 
um, or at least in that person's mind, they, they were saying their true thoughts. Um, it was never about money. It's never about money as to why the number one player in America came to Georgia. In fact, he passed up millions was what this kid said. Um, which brings us to our next topic. It's not. It's not about money. It's not about money at the University of Georgia. I've tried to explain this on this network and over and over again on this channel. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. There are no bidding wars in Athens and Tuscaloosa. Understand me this, please. There are none. There are no salary caps in college football in terms of a set number that you can exceed. We all know that, right? There is no set number of a salary cap like there are in every other uh, professional sporting world, which I believe is what we are already in if you're not paying attention. Um, I'm here to let you know. We are already in a professional world of college football, and most of these professional worlds have salary caps. And though we don't have a salary cap, a hard salary cap in college football, there are caps on salaries at each of these programs, right? There is a set line of assets that you just can't exceed at all of these uh, universities, right? And some of them are very, very different. Some of their salary caps and salary floors are set at totally different levels and the funny thing about georgia and alabama particularly the two teams that are almost notoriously ranked at the top of everybody's college football rankings period whether it be recruiting uh you know season predictions all this good stuff the two programs that are most associated with greatness in this sport currently they're not one of these teams they're not one of these teams that has one of these crazy ass budgets they are indeed football schools they have 1% talent in that sport. Georgia and Alabama has more talent and more, uh, or, or excuse me, I should say better players than 99% of college football. But they do not have 1% money. They do not have 1% money, okay? Those schools are as obvious as ever, and they aren't Georgia and Alabama. The schools that have this 1% money, they stick out like sore thumbs in this world of college football, okay? So what does that mean? What does it mean at all? Well, that means that there are hard caps, right? But they're just at each individual program, okay? There are some teams that are strung tight on what they are allowed to spend, and they can't spend it desperately. Georgia and Alabama are two of these programs. They are one of the haves, okay? But they're not one of the extremely haves. So let me explain to you how this goes, okay? I'll try to explain this to you. This is what I, this is back to our first segment, if you haven't. Make sure you go back and watch. Um, because the NCAA thinks you're stupid and thinks that you're, we're not, that, that, that these schools are not being directly involved with these NIL budgets, this makes this conversation really hard, but I'm just going to push right through it, okay? This is what we're going to do. We're just going to do it together, okay? But we're going to do it in a way that we are all protected. All right, so let's do it this way. Linebacker X at high school Y in the state of Alabama calls Georgia and says, Coach, I'm going to be a dog. I'm committing. Right now, coach, I'm going to be a dog. And then player X from school Y calls SEC school Z and says, hey, SEC school Z, I'm going to Georgia. And they say, hmm, well, here's our final offer, player X. You don't need to be going to Georgia. You need to be coming to school Z, all right? We're going to offer you this. We're going to do this for you. Okay, final offer, boom, big offer, okay? Georgia, being one of the haves, but not one of the super haves in college football, doesn't do final offer negotiation. They don't do final offer bargaining. The salary cap is what the salary cap is, period. So player X from school Y in the state of Alabama goes to SEC school Z that, quote, unquote, threw the bag because there are no bidding wars. Alabama and Georgia will have leads on kids and then have random losses late. They will. It just happened. It just happened a couple of times to the University of Georgia. So it's important to note that there is an NIL strategy at the University of Georgia. It's called no bidding wars. They don't do it. The salary cap is what the salary cap is. You will make what you will make, period. We don't do arguments at the University of Georgia and at the University of Alabama. You don't. The, the salary is what the salary is, and we move on, okay, um, at those two programs. Um, some people would listen to that, and they say, well, Brooks, if Alabama and Georgia aren't the halves of college football or the super halves, as you called them, 
Who are they? Well, I would direct you to the uh, NIL bringing back the Blue Bloods. Just search NIL bringing back college football Blue Bloods, and you will see a video of ours that popped up in August, August of 2020, of us rattling off the schools that had the most endowment and pointing to these schools and saying, watch out, these boys are flushed with cash. And who are those schools? Well, that's it's by the way, I don't have to rat on these. So if anyone's thinking I'm dry snitching, this is Lane Kiffin. All right. If you want to know who are the super haves and who's out here driving 180 on the Autobahn out there in Germany right now, by the way, nah, I'm not going to explain that one. If you don't know who these schools are, listen to a Lane Kiffin press conference. You will see him take a stab at USC. You will see him take a stab at Texas A&M. You will see him take a stab at Miami and Tennessee. You will see this. You will hear this. All right, these are not hidden facts about college football right now. Nobody just talking, just nobody talks about them with you. All right. So USC, obvious, LA money, duh. I think I talked to an SEC coach when, or not an SEC coach, a USC coach. He's now in the SEC. Talked to a USC coach um, back when Michael Williams was a hot recruit for them and Kristen Miller and, and that whole first NIL class. You guys remember Michael was committed to them. Their first meeting with players was. Look how many Fortune 500 companies base their, their companies in L.A. Look at all of them. They're right here, right next to you. Oh, by the way, these highlighted, these have a degree or give back to USC. They're already Trojans, baby. Look at all this. USC, L.A. money. Texas. Texas is a little mixture. Texas is a little mixture with oil money and some, uh, some tech money and some real estate money. Texas is just money. Texas, I looked up today, has five billionaire families. Five. Five billionaire families that donate to Longhorn football and are super competitive about how much money they donate. Texas. Okay, they're traveling really fast. Duh. Texas A&M, super, super fast. Oil money. Oil money, oil money, oil money. Out the wazoo. And some weird legislation where they can out there just create an LLC, dump money into it, and siphon it out to football players via their bank accounts. Some wild-ass NIL deals out there at Texas A&M, or at least the rules. And then Tennessee, if you don't know, Tennessee's got Jimmy Haslam. Okay, Who is Jimmy Haslam? Jimmy Haslam owns the pilots and the loves that you stop at at gas stations all up the East Coast. Okay, More oil money. So much oil money that he owns the Browns. And I don't know if you know about the Browns, but the Browns just gave quarter of a billion dollars guaranteed to a quarterback that really nobody was in competition to sign. Okay? Um, except for the Falcons, but that's beside the point. Okay, these schools that are doing these types of recruitings, they got money you can never dream of at Alabama. They got money that you can never dream of at the University of Georgia. So if you're a recruit, again, I've said this on this channel before, if you're a recruit listening to this today and you want to play at the University of Georgia, you better not call and talk to them about no NIL. That's not who they're recruiting. They don't care. You're going to come to Georgia because you want to play in the NFL. Okay, not not because you want a couple hundred grand coming out of high school or because you want some astronomical amount of money coming out of high school. Um, all this stuff's right here in front of you. I don't have to. I shouldn't be so scared about all this because it's all right there in front of you. Let me ask you something. You know, any Yellowwoods, you know who the Yellowwood guy is? Look it up. Yellowwood Auburn football. Just Google it. See what happens. OK, you notice any Yellowwoods at Alabama? Nah, so much so that the state of Georgia or the state of Alabama, I'm pretty sure made Mr. Yellowwood give Alabama football money because it was so lopsided. All right. Do you know of any Yellowwoods that's out here repping the Georgia Bulldogs? Mm -mm. You don't. You know, of any famous billionaire tycoons that are out here talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide? No, you do not. Texas has five of those families. So, no, Georgia ain't out here fighting and arguing with kids over a couple hundred grand. We don't have it. We can't. We're not giving it to you, so says coach, right? So, that's the strategy. Ain't no bidding wars. You want to go to Alabama? You want to go to Georgia? Good. You're going there because you love football and you want to play. And you want to play at that university, not because of all this other stuff. Okay? Again, college football, football fans listening to me. Okay? Understand something. There are going to be sudden swings in the recruiting world. Oregon money. You know what? Not that wild, but wild. Quiet, quietly wild.
quietly wild. All these other schools, really, really fast. Dan, Dan kind of knows what he's getting into. I think Dan operates a lot like Lanning, or excuse me, a lot like Nick and a lot like uh Smart or Kirby. Like, yeah, they they have a, a little bit more money than Georgia. I just don't see all of that stuff. Um <laughs> shouts out Luke Winstall. Um, <laughs> I don't normally read my uh messages when I'm on show, but shouts out, my boy. Appreciate you listening, my guy. If y'all aren't following Luke Winstall, you probably should. That guy works his ass off. Um, so shouts out. Anyways, back to this. If you're a college football fan, listen to this. They're gonna be massive swings in recruitment, ups and downs, things that happen late, things that just go all kinds of crazy. Uh, you know, how did you lose this? How did this happen? What in the hell? Why is that kid going there? What happened with the Jaden Rashada stuff? Did they really give eight and a half million dollars to Tennessee? All of these crazy ass stories are going to continue to happen um, because as there always is with any unregulated and unsanctioned business that fields hundreds of millions of dollars, there's going to be crazy shit happening in something like that all the time, which by the way, think about that. Listen to that statement. Listen to that statement right there. An unregulated and unsanctioned business for nonprofit, by the way, that siphons hundreds of millions of dollars, nay, billions. That's what college football is, guys. And there ain't nobody out here sanctioning it. Ryan Day told y'all, Ryan Day told y'all straight up at a press conference it was going to cost him $13 million to sustain his roster. Told y'all that straight up. His is 13. So-and-so's over here might be 14. So-and-so's over here might be 16. So-and-so might have enough money to pay for 20. Unsanctioned. Unregulated. No lawyers. No laws. Hell, there are laws. No one follows them. I don't know. You, you want to get some type of corrective action into college football, put some shanks into it. You, you have to, have to, have to be able to allow these people to play on even terms. It's not impacting college football right now. I really don't. Georgia's still Georgia. Alabama's still Alabama. Clemson, for that matter, is still Clemson. Uh, you know, the LSUs of the world are doing, are doing fine. Michigan's doing fine. Ohio State's doing fine. These other schools, before this stuff gets regulated, you better do some damn winning, USC. Lincoln Riley, I'm telling you right now, if you don't win before all that illegal – I'm not going to call it illegal. I'm just going to call it fortunate stuff that Gavin Newsom's doing for you out there with NIL laws, if you cannot win before sanctions come in on this and everyone's playing on level playing field, you will never win. You won't, okay? Tennessee, if you are not allowed to leverage your way into an SEC East competitive battle with all the money that you are now allowed to spend, you will never win, Jimmy Haslam. You won't, okay, until the rest of the powerhouses die off. Right now, you have a significant competitive advantage significant competitive advantage at places like Miami, Texas saying then, well, Miami just got pinned up by the Ruiz stuff. So let's hold off on the Miami stuff, but all this other stuff. Okay. All this other stuff, all these other schools, y'all better start doing some damn winning. Okay. And quick Texas saying them, man, I'd be so hot if I was a booster. I'd be so hot if I was a booster at Texas A&M. Homeboy, homeboy made me pay how much money for the number one recruiting class of all time even though he tells everybody that I want my bread, that would also piss me off. I'm out here forking out all this money for your football players, and you ain't even allowed to go out and tell people that you that I did it? Like, that's the antithesis of rich white folk money. Not that all of it's rich white folk money, but you get me. Like, rich money is loud money. I don't know if y'all have ever noticed that. But when folks spend money, they want to let you know they're spending money. So it's got to be really, really hard for some oil tycoon out there to just be like, wait, I can't tell people that I'm the reason so-and-so Evan Stewart came to the school. I'm the reason that so-and-so came to the school. I can't do it. Why can't I do that? Oh, because the instant of ways I hear Fugazi rules and because your coach is out here telling nobody that you, or everybody that y'all didn't pay for nothing. Man, that'd make me mad. I gave you how much money? And I'm supposed to act like three and eight was my fault? I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, nah. Because you know they're telling their buddies, I bought that player. I bought that player. I did that. All for y'all to lose to App State. Oof. Oof. That would be hot. Um, yeah, nah, man. It, th this something with revenue. I would imagine revenue sharing sanction or sanctionalizes. Uh, 
Revenue sharing will sanctionalize all of this, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think college football powers that be um, will allow this type of unlevel playing field to completely, completely happen, right? Um, this idea that California and Florida are going to play on their own rules um, and everybody else in Texas is going to have their own set of rules and, and Georgia is going to have their own set of rules. Like, all this stuff's going to happen. I find it hard to believe that Nick Saban, Nick Saban will roll over in his grave before college football is that unbalanced. Okay, he's I mean he's fighting at every tooth, every inch that he possibly can right now. I mean, Mans is spending his summers on uh on con in Congress fighting for uh you know some stabilized NC or NIL laws and bills. So over Nick Saban and Kirby Smart's dead body, will this stuff continue to allow to happen? Which is why I'm telling you right now, if you're one of these schools, you better start winning. I don't know when I don't know when a level playing field will be created, but it's impossible to believe that it's not going to, right? Other uh, otherwise, we're just we can we can I'm not gonna say we can say goodbye to college football, but you're gonna have like seven Yankees out here, you know what I mean? Where the Yankees can just pay as much money as they always wanted to until there was a soft cap in in, in professional baseball. Um, nonetheless, that is what it is. Uh, speaking of Nick Saban, I think we were speaking of Nick Saban, but speaking of Nick Saban. Uh, he talked about the college football playoff expansion today, and I, I gotta be honest, I don't know if Kirby will ever. I don't know if he'll ever become this like open and willing to be on a microphone and talk and give quotes. But Nick Saban, damn sure is. Nick Saban almost like it's like he's itching to give takes. He's like me when I go like a week off from giving opinions. I'm like, dude, I got to talk to somebody. My wife's like, shut the hell up. Get down there and do something before I lose my mind. You know what I mean? Like, it just, I, I got to go. I got to, I got to give, so I got to talk. I got to give opinions. And I think sometimes during the summertime, Nick's just like freaking bored. You know, Terry's kicking him out of the house. He's like, we can only play, you know, virtual reality boxing so much. <clears throat> what a random joke for people who aren't on social media as much as I am. Um, but no, I think he just gets kind of bored and he gives quotes like this. This is a phenomenal quote. Um, and it's what he's turned into. Not that he's. I'm not one of these guys that's out here making fun of Nick Saban for bitching and complaining. I know why he does what he does. Nick Saban bitches and complains no different than LeBron does after a game about how he got fouled. It's so the next time he gets the calls, you know what I'm saying? Nick Saban does all this complaining. So next time he gets his he gets his way. You know what I'm saying? He complains and complains and complains so that things get fixed. Whereas Kirby just complains behind the scenes and makes everybody else get things fixed and doesn't want to portray this image of someone who is complaining or making excuses because that's just not who he is, right? Not, not saying that Saban is an excuse maker because he's obviously not. He's the greatest college football coach of all time. But once you are the greatest of all time, now you have some leeway to do what you want, which is tell everybody what your reasoning is for your complaints, right? And that's what he's doing right now with these quotes right here he says quote so all we do is take the teams that win the most games he's talking about the current college football playoffs uh now so all we do is take the teams that win the most games at the end of the year put them in the playoffs but do you really get the best teams he asked when they told me that we would be favored against three out of the four teams that got in the playoff i'm like why aren't we in the playoffs does that mean they have a better team or does it mean that for those people don't or excuse me or does it mean that those people don't know what they're talking about? I really don't know that. Uh, but I'm not being critical of anybody, but if you're going to have parity, you have to have the better way of fight. you have to have a better way of figuring out who has the best teams, not just because you lose two games on the last play of the game. First of all, I love a good old-fashioned I'm not criticizing anybody, but tear down the system to its studs these are the problems you know what i mean i love a good hey man no offense but i hate the way you dress i don't know man it kind of seems offensive you know what i mean don't take this personal but i really wish you would dress more professionally i don't know man sounds kind of uh, you know personal you know what i mean it sounds like you definitely pointed that at me um anyways i don't want to critique i don't want to knock anybody down but the system sucks um, so says Nick Saban. First off, the system currently in place requires week in and week out excellence to, to find out who's going to be selected for excellence in January, right? You have to be excellent under the current system from se September 4th until December 10th. 
okay, to earn the right to prove your excellence in January. That's what this sport has always been about. That's what this sport will no longer be about in a couple of years. But currently, until this final season, this sport is about week in, week out excellence. You have to show up and not lose on the last play of the game on a road game against Tennessee. You have to show up and not lose a one-point game on the road against LSU. Or at least show up in one of those two and win and find a way to win that week. Find a way to be national championship good that week. One through 12. That's what the current system is about. It's not a system, Nick Saban, where you ask Vegas who's the better team. Because if that's the system, you're going to win every freaking year. All right? If the system is line up and play based off who Vegas favors to win, Alabama doesn't have to play a single damn game. That's not the system. Okay? Congrats. If that were the system, you would have won a mythical football game. In fact, if that were the system, I believe of, uh, just a handful of years ago when Alabama was on the top of the sport, there were Vegas lines about Alabama being a favorite over the Cleveland Browns. You remember this nonsense, don't you? Well, why didn't we just start up a crossover league? Vegas thinks you're that good. So why don't we just do that? No, that is not the sport. Right? That's not the sport. Okay? I know what he's doing. I understand what he's doing. He's advocating for his football team. That is his job, okay? Um, I, I think that's one of his jobs, right? His main job is to win. I get it. He's got a decent point, in fact, advocating for his football team. But if I'm going to advocate for anything, it's the current system that we are in in college football. It's the current college football playoff, right? And the current system, the way it currently situates, means you had to beat LSU on the road when Vegas favored you by 13 points. I love how the Vegas stuff matters. Everyone thinks we're the better team until you lose on the road, and then it's, ah, we weren't the better team that day. Yeah, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point, right? That's kind of the point of college football as it currently situates and currently stands. And now none of this shit matters. Now none of this matters at all because we're going to 12, and Bama gets in the rest of time. As long as Nick Saban has a pulse and a headset on his head, Alabama's in the playoff. And for that matter, Georgia is too. We went to 12. It doesn't matter. Okay? And that's what going to 12 did. Uh, appreciate you guys being here. We had a great show tonight. I thought it was really, really good. Um, I think you guys should show that it's good as well by hitting that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, rate, and review. All that good stuff. You know, everyone's trying to follow me, but I stay switching lanes. We'll see you all next time.